Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is an indecent proposal by Pastor Sean Wood. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power that rests in your word. And I thank you today that as we make ourselves available, we ask you to speak to each one of us. We ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. For those that joined us last week, Today will possibly be maybe part two of last week. Last week we spoke, of course, about the golden calf. And uh, I remember the Boxing Day tsunamis. Anybody ever remember the Boxing Day tsunamis many years ago? That was a, that was a, that was a horrible event. Um, but I remember seeing photos of the landscape, just everything completely wiped out except the odd building still standing. And I wish I could say there was a tide rising against the church, but there's a tsunami that is rising against the church. Why are these things important and why is the direction, our own individual direction, but also the direction of the church moving forward, why is that so important? Because what that tsunami taught me was, if you've got really strong foundations, it doesn't matter what comes against us. If we are standing on strong foundations and on the rock, we will stand. But there will and there may well be those that will be swept away, unfortunately. And last week we looked at the golden calf, and if there was one, if there's one part of that narrative that we take away, it's when the people of God come to Aaron and say, make us gods. Make us gods, and what they were actually saying to Aaron was, you know what, make us a god that's comfortable. Make us a god that we can see. Make us a god that is manageable for us, and reduce his glory. Let us, make us a god that we can get our mind around, and we hear the same narrative today. There are many outside of the church that are saying, make us a God. Make us, make us a God that's loving and tolerant and kind and forgiving and merciful. Yes, God's all of those things. But they don't want a God that confronts their sin and demands that they must repent. We, make us that kind of a God that doesn't confront me and I'll come to your church on Sundays. As long as he's comfortable and manageable and inside of church circles, we want the same. We, we want a God that we can manage. We want a God that moves when we say so. That's not biblical. God doesn't move according to our plans and purposes. We move as God moves us. Even as we are looking at the plight of the Israelites as they make their way through the wilderness, they were never supposed to move until the cloud moved. And only as far as the cloud went. Today we we start part two. And many might remember some years ago, uh, there was a movie called The Indecent Proposal. And and all the unspiritual people just said, yeah, I'll watch that. No, I'm joking. Uh, But... The interesting part of that movie was, uh, for those who haven't watched it, uh, a man comes to a couple who has taken a liking to the wife and says, you know what, I'll give you a million dollars for one night with your wife. Now, if it's your cat, yours. But... but, (laughs) I'm sorry, Robin. I I know you're on the front row, but I I, I still have to be getting into trouble. But... (laughs) Beneath that question, I know it sounds like a business transaction, I know it sounds like a money thing, but you know what that guy was actually asking? He was asking them to sell out. He was actually asking that couple, sell out on your marriage, sell out on your commitment. You know what, this wasn't about money, really. This was about something far deeper than the money. And today we're going to have a look at an indecent proposal. 
a proposal that actually God makes, but I wonder whether we're still hearing that proposal today. The proposal is to have the candle without the flame. The proposal is, what if, what if God came today to you? We'll unpack this in a moment. But what if God came to you today and said, everything on your prayer list, I will give you right now. Everything you've been praying for, all the promises in the book, I'll give it to you right now. But no presents. What would you say? Now, our super spiritual Sunday reflex says, oh, no. No, no, no. We would say, but I wonder... I wonder whether the pressure that's coming on the church today is a pressure to have the candle without the flame. Have everything that looks like church and have everything that looks like worship maybe, have everything that we look all spiritual on the outside. We can, we can put up our spiritual makeup on a Sunday, but, but is there a flame on the inside? I would propose today, and I'm sure many of us would agree, no flame, no candle. Without the flame, church on a Sunday morning is no different to when I played football. If I didn't turn up to a couple of football games, they used to ring me to find out what was wrong. They check in. When I was on the football field, 18 other guys had my back. And I pray that we have each other's back here. So what separates us from a club or a community centre? The flame. It's the presence. What distinguishes us? Let's have a look at the... Uh, what God has to say here. Chapter 33 of Exodus, if you've made your way there, the Lord says to Moses, depart and go up from here. Immediately get on your way from where? From Mount Sinai, where Moses has been up the mountain receiving the law and the, the directions for the tabernacle. Remember, in chapter 25, the whole tabernacle narrative is because God wants to dwell in the midst of his people. So the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom (laughs) you brought up out of Egypt. Oh dear, that language has changed. Who you brought up out of the land of Egypt, you go up from here to the land. Now sometimes I think we can get trapped in what I like to call being landlocked. You see, the Israelites, they came out of Egypt and no wonder they were longing for something better, right? The Hebrew word for Egypt means to be narrow or to be constricted. It spoke of oppressive tightness and no room. That's what the, that's what the word means. These guys have come out of constriction. They have come out of oppression. No wonder they want something better, right? And they want a place, and of course the promise was for a land of milk and honey, a land of abundance, a land of plenty, plenty of room to move. It's your land where, where you govern and inhabit the land. That's what, that's what God had designed. But we can become landlocked, we can get locked on the what and lose sight of the who. And that was all the promises of God. I, I will bring you up to the land flowing with milk and honey. We can have the land, we can, we can have the candle without the flame, of which I swore to Abraham, he says, Isaac and Jacob, to your offspring I will give it. Have a listen to what God's saying here to Moses and to the people of Israel. He says, I will send an angel, a angel, not the angel. The language has changed. The angel is a very, very different identity to a angel. The angel that went before them 
is a sermon for another day, but a angel. That's right. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jubasites, and a few itchy bites. I will drive them out before you. What's God saying? I'll give you all the deliverance you want. I'll give you the victory. You go up to the land. I'll give you the victory. Interesting. uh, By the time they reach the River Jordan to go into the promised land, uh, the River Jordan is in full flood, which means in some places... It's a raging torrent up to a kilometre wide. This wasn't dipping your toes in the creek as you go over to the promised land. There were no bronze medallion swimmers. Moses wasn't giving swimming lessons in the wilderness. These guys couldn't, these, these guys couldn't swim and the, God's promised them the land. But when they get to the river, the first thing to enter the river is God's presence. It's the Ark of the Covenant, the priests in the Ark. The presence was always meant to go first. God says, I'll give you the victory, I'll give you the land, flowing with milk and honey, but there's a huge but here. And some buts in scripture are really good, but this one's not so good, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now, what's the problem here? The problem uh, is God says, if I go with you and you continue in your sin, you'll be consumed. You see, our God is a holy God. We can't reduce his holiness. When, when Jesus came, it wasn't as though some kind of act of grace meant that he reduced God's standard or reduced God's holiness. That's not what Jesus has done. Jesus has elevated us. He has allowed us to approach. If you can think of, uh, we spoke about this some weeks ago, if you can think about God's holiness like radioactive material. Uh, Remember Chernobyl, after Chernobyl, people were wearing all these suits. Why? Because if you come too close, you will be consumed. If you come too close and you're too frivolous, you will be consumed. There is a way to treat God, but God's presence and hosting God's presence comes with demands. And Israel says, you know what? We want your presence. We want your blessings, but we don't want the demands it places on our life. We don't want to be holy. We, we want to have a calf and a bit of a dance every now and again. And, oh, but why? And, but I will not go up amongst you. I will not be in your midst. Wow. See, I think sometimes we get locked on a place and we forget that religion is all about going to a place but Christianity is all about being introduced to a person. Imagine if God made that proposal to you right now. Imagine if God said all the prayers you're praying for your kids, it's a tough one. All the prayers you're praying for your kids, that promotion you wanted. I'll give you the ministry you want. I'll fill your church pews. Your church will be real. You're going to have this awesome building. What if God said, I'll give you all of that right now, but you'll never know more. What if God said, I'll give you the candle, but no flame? Would we sell out? That's the pressure that's coming on the church today. That's the pressure that's coming on us as individuals. Will you sell out? Will you settle? Will you be comfortable? Are you happy just to go through the motions? You see, God's not a game-playing God. He's not here. God's missional. We have a mission here as his people. We are, we are left here with a mission. He's empowered us for the mission. The mission is 
to reach people for Christ. To spread his message. For those that were that read the pastor's comments this morning, for the one or two that read the pastor's comments this morning, it's time for us to speak up. It's time for us to take a stand. This is no time for us to be silent. As I highlighted in the pastor's comments, what happens when the people of God are silent? Everything around us spirals out of control. What if God said, I'll give you all of your prayer requests right now, but you'll never know my presence? Here's the question I have. Would God have been on your prayer list? Are you praying for the flame? Is the number one thing on your prayer list, I want more of you, God. I want to know you more. I want to see you more. I want you to refine me, Lord. Recent surveys came out, Recent when they did the last national survey, it came out that those that are identifying as Christian had decreased. And everybody in church circles hit their straps going, the church is on the decline. However, what the results actually displayed, if you read all of them, was that there was a group of people who said, you know what, for many years we've just pressed the yes button and we've just said we're Christian, but you know what, we never go to church. We never read the Bible. My mum and dad went to church, but you know what, we're not actually Christian. Which was very helpful because now we can reach them for the gospel. And so I wouldn't say in any way, shape or form that the church is declining. I would say that the church is refining. See, Jesus said to Peter, he got to the core of the matter. Jesus said to Peter, the enemy has asked to sift you as wheat. Well, great pep talk before dinner, right? The enemy's asked. It's interesting what Jesus prayed, though. We would think Jesus prayed, and I have prayed for you, what, that he would take that away? No. Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. And Jesus was pretty sure his prayers got answered because the next word was, when you have turned, restore your brothers. Uh, That's what I love. Trust Jesus to pick a cutting, dirty fisherman who couldn't read or write to be a pillar of the first church. Trust Jesus to pick a guy like that. Would we settle for the candle without the flame. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. You know what? If we're honest this morning, for those that tuned in last week, if we're honest this morning, we're probably all, to some degree, guilty of fashioning golden calves. We've probably all had a bit of a dance around a God that we would like in our own image at some point in time. Maybe, maybe, we've, uh, maybe it was early on. Maybe we've had things that we've kept. And maybe today you've brought some luggage with you. And I, I, I want to tackle that in a moment. But wherever you are today, I've got really good news. It's not the end of your story. That's what I love about God. God always... You, now, if I was God or if most of us in this room were God, we'd have wiped these guys out, right? We'd have gone, you know what? Let's just wipe these guys out and start again. But God always offers a way back. Let's have a listen to what God says. Verse 4, when the people heard this disastrous word, and I take great encouragement from that, because when the word reaches the people of God, they thought it was a disastrous word as well. They were like, hang on a second, we don't want the the land without the presence. We we came here for God. They don't really want this. And they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. 
it's a really interesting fruit. What's going on there? We'll get to that in a moment. They didn't put on their ornaments. Why? For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. They'd begun to stink in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I've had three teenage boys. Uh, I can tell you, there are, there are aromas that come out of their room that you can't clean, you've got to cast out. <laughs> but most, most of them aren't here today. But sometimes we would be consumed as well. I would consume you, so now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Here's what God's saying. Take off your ornaments. And, and is this, is, is God saying to the people, repent? He is, but it's actually far deeper than that. And, and, and when you probe beneath this and find out what is going on here, we see that these guys knew exactly what it meant. What ornaments, first of all? It was the stuff they'd taken and plundered from Egypt. They smelt to Egypt. It says that they had become an aroma to Egypt. So Egypt says, here, get the gold and get out. And so they'd begun to stink as well. But uh, they took all these ornaments. But, but what does that mean? How does that translate to us? But there was a time I, I realised when, when Jacob, uh, in a few weeks when we finished Exodus, we're going to do a series on coming into the calling of God. And there's always the point A, where we meet Jesus. And there's a point B, where God wants to take us. And what happens in between is really important. Jacob's going to be one of those guys. Uh, but there's a moment for Jacob in chapter 35 of Genesis, where uh, after Esau, after he meets Esau and after he wrestles with God, but actually it says God wrestled with him. After the wrestling and all of that, there comes a time when God says, up from here and back to Bethel. And Bethel, God had revealed, was the place that he was calling Jacob. So he says, get up from here, go back to Bethel and build an altar. So Jacob, Jacob knows what that means. So here's what he says to everybody in his camp, which I found amazing. Give me your foreign gods. What? Yeah, what? You've been travelling this whole time? We know Rachel stole from some from Laban's house and hid them. But here was the response of everybody in the camp. They came to Jacob, it says, and they gave him their foreign gods and their earrings or their ornaments. And Jacob does something very profound because Jacob knows it's recommitment time. It's time to make a commitment to God. And if I'm going to move forward from here, Jacob knows these things have got to stay. So what does he do? It actually says that he buried them underneath a tree. Jacob knows full well if we're going up to Bethel to build an altar, this stuff's got to stay. If you read here, they never put these ornaments back on the whole time they're in the wilderness. They never put them back on. This is deeper than repentance, but it involves repentance. This is coming back with a full commitment. Jacob, just as a digression, buries those things under the oak at Morah or under the oak near Shechem. The exact same place that when Abram first came in to the land of Canaan, God appeared to him and Abram built an altar there and he then moves to Bethel or in between Bethel and Ai. Maybe what God is saying to us is it's time for us to go up, but some stuff's got to stay behind. 
What God is saying to Israel is, if you're going to go on from here, and if my presence is going to go on with you, take off all your ornaments, and let's see. I love the response of Israel. Let's read it. Uh, I would consume you, so now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Verse 6, therefore the people, the people of Israel, what, dilly-dallied around? They just, no, they stripped them off. God, I'll do whatever I've got to do to get your presence back. God, I'll do whatever I've got to do. I'll stay here in the wilderness if I have to. Would you be willing to live the rest of your life in the wilderness if it meant you could have the flame? If it meant the presence, I'll, I'll stay here. Because that's what Moses is going to say. Moses is going to end up saying to the Lord, you know what? If your presence isn't going, then you just leave us right here. Don't don't take us into the land. Don't, Don't move us on from here because I don't want to move on without you. Is that you here this morning? I've got really good news for you this morning. Uh, it's available to every person in this room, but maybe today's the day you need to come to the Oak at Marah and bury some stuff before you go up. The Christian life can sometimes be like a series of airport stops. And every time you get to the airport and you get to the luggage counter, and the only carry-on I ever take on the plane are my fly rods. So they're light, right? But sometimes I've known people that get to the baggage carousel and they say, you've got to lose some weight before you get on the plane. You've got to leave a bag behind. You're carrying too much luggage. Is that you here today? I think sometimes we all carry too much luggage. I love this next part. Interesting, most scholars think that this was just kind of chucked in ad hoc, but I think it's there. I think think it's there for a really good reason. It's all about the tent of meeting, and this is not the tabernacle, by the way. Tabernacle's not built yet. Moses has got the directions, and they're going to build it soon, and skate through that, but that's not what this is. Let's have the backdrop and the context of what I'm trying to say here is... We have a people here that are a stiff-necked people that are consumed. They, you see, the problem was, we get to the golden calf. Can I just tell you today as a digression, you never actually fall into sin. No, you slide. Incrementally. You, bit by bit, you slide. And so we get to the golden calf and go, whoo! Those guys fell into sin. Nah, they were worshipping the golden calf for a long time. Moses' absence just gave them the opportunity to do it on the outside. It's a matter of the heart. We can put a man on the moon, but man can't change the human condition of the heart. Only Jesus can do that. What I love about this next part about the tent of meeting is against that backdrop, we have one man who's different. And now Moses used to take the tent and pitch the tent outside the camp. He used to go out away from everybody else and outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord. Now, at this moment in time, if you wanted to ask the Lord something, you would go to the tent of meeting. You'd ask Moses. Moses would ask God and come back and give you the answer. You weren't allowed to go into the tent of meeting. Moses was, and there's another guy that's doing a bit of lingering that we'll touch on before we finish. Uh, Everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, stand at their tent door and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. 
you know what? I don't want to be a spectator when it comes to the presence of God at all. I don't know about anybody else, but I don't want to be a spectator. I don't, know, I don't want to watch everybody else going into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, something different happened. Wow. The pillar of cloud would descend. And stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. The Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, and all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, doesn't mean he didn't have any parents, it's just one of his parents' names was Nun, a young man, he would not depart from the tent. So we see that amidst that backdrop, there is a call on the hearts of every one of us. There is a promise of the tent of meeting. This guy, if you wanted to put it into modern language, what's going on with Moses here? Moses is having his own personal revival. He says, you know what? I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to build a tent. I'm going to go out. I'm going to speak to the Lord. Uh, I, whatever's going on with everybody else, I'm going to come out and seek the Lord. God is calling us out. God is calling us to meet with him. What a great promise that amidst that backdrop, God's not finished here. Uh, we see that uh, Moses intercedes again. We spoke about this last week, but if you want to know biblically what intercession look, looks like, read Moses' dialogue with God in chapter 32 and now this dialogue here. This is what intercession is. This is where Moses stands in the place of his people and pleads with God. Moses says something very interesting here. He says, Moses said to the Lord, see you have to, see you say to this people, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. Here's what Moses is saying. You want me to bring the people up? I'm not doing it alone. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favour in my sight or grace in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me your ways. The difference between Moses and Israel was Moses knew God's ways. Israel knew God's acts. Israel knew God by his acts. They had a superficial knowledge of God. Moses had a deep, intimate knowledge with God. And we might read this and go, well, that's just for the super anointed people of history. But Jesus has made this available for every person in this room. You can have that relationship. You can know God. This is eternal life, said Jesus in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life that they may know you. That starts today. If you've never crossed into that, don't leave here today without making that decision. Jesus came to a Jewish community that was looking for all the promises in the future and says, I'm going to bring them to the right here and now for you today. I am said Jesus seven times in the Gospel of John. I am the resurrection and the life. Show me your ways that I may know you. What's, what's Moses asking? I want, a, I want a deeper knowledge and intimate connection with you. I don't want to know just your acts. I don't want to come halfway. I, I don't want to stay in the camp. I don't want to be a spectator. I don't know you. In order to find favour in your sight, consider too, that this nation is your people. 
And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you the rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. I'm not crossing the river on my own. I'm only going if you come. And I don't want church. I don't want Mondays, Wednesdays or Thursdays without God's presence. And if if that costs us something, and it's going to. You see, Israel weren't willing to pay the price that God's presence often demands of us. Have a listen to what Moses finishes off with. Verse 16, for, for how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct or we are distinguished? We are distinguished by your presence. We are distinct by your presence. I, I've had the uh, either fortune or misfortune, depends on the context, of, of, of attending some conferences uh, over the years. And uh, I see that smirk, Liz. And... Uh, I, throughout these conferences that go for a few days, there's many people that get up and speak, and you get up, yeah, great speech, well done, yeah, thank you. But every now and again, somebody gets up and speaks, and you go, something distinguishes that person. They've been in the presence of God. Something distinguished Jesus. People would say of Jesus, you don't seem to understand. No one ever spoke like this man. Imagine Malchus. Imagine Malchus, Peter cuts off his ear and Jesus just comes and restores his ear. There was never anybody like this man. Jesus was distinguished. He looked like many of us and it could be scary or it could be... (laughs) But what distinguished Jesus was he had the flame and he came to give us the same flame. I want to ask you today, as we come to a close, we're going to come around the Lord's table, if I could ask the stewards. I want to briefly talk about another man that was asked to sell out, but a little bit of a different context. There's a man in Luke chapter 18, just as we're coming around the Lord's table. One of the very few people I've read of in Scripture that left Jesus disappointed. But a man comes to Jesus and he's a rich young ruler. And when he comes to Jesus, he comes and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And a a couple of things we need to know about the rich young ruler is for him to have been considered a ruler, he probably was a ruler in a local synagogue. He, He was the guy that everybody wanted to get to know. He was the guy that got invited to all the birthday parties. He was the, he was the guy that got invited to Anna and Josh's wedding. He's, that's the kind of guy. Everybody wanted to know him. He had social acclaim and he comes to Jesus. Why? He comes to Jesus because something's missing in here. What he's actually saying to Jesus is, you know what? I've got it all on the outside. I'm very wealthy, I'm very well known, everybody likes me, at least they pretend to when they see me. I come from good stock, I'm well educated, have to be to be a synagogue leader. But he comes to Jesus, why? Because something's missing. And he says to Jesus, 
Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Great question. Because the word good here is the word they used in the Greek to associate with divinity. What Jesus is saying to this guy, if you're associating me with God, we need to have a bit of a different conversation. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. If you want eternal life, you know the commandments, right? And Jesus lists all the commandments to do with his horizontal relationships and doesn't deal with any of the ones that deal with his vertical relationship. Well, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false testimony, do not pat cats and honour your father and mother. Verse 21, and he said, listen, listen to the proud answer here. All of these I have kept from my youth. Jesus, I've kept all the commandments, but something's missing. I'm keeping all the rules. I'm keeping all the regulations. I'm a really good religious man. Something's missing. Jesus says to him, and he said, all these I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one, one thing, one thing you still lack. You forgot something. You overlooked something. One thing you still lack. Here's what Jesus wants him to do. Uh, Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Greatest invitation in the universe. Come, follow me. But in between the come, follow me and the one thing is you've got to go and sell everything you have. Did did Jesus want his possessions? No. One of his heart. You know what Jesus is saying to this guy? The same thing that was demanded of Jacob under the oak. It's time for you to bury some stuff if you're going to follow me, son. The only thing holding this guy back was his heart was clogged. I love how the, uh, the narrative goes on. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. Now, we don't know whether he came back at any point. We don't know really what the end was for this young man, but we know at this point in time, he left Jesus disappointed. For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I don't know if you've ever put a camel through the eye of a needle. Then for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, I love Jesus' response. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Whatever you're sitting here today and saying, you know what, that's impossible. It's impossible for me to let go of these things. It's impossible for God to take me up from here. It's impossible for me to ever know God. I've done all these things in my... You don't know what I've done and and I've been playing games for too long. Nothing is impossible with God. Religion... Religion wants to wrap men up in rules and regulations. Jesus came for the sole purpose of reuniting us with the living God of the universe. And if you've never made that decision today, don't leave here today with saying, I want to come back into fellowship. I want to come home. But maybe you're sitting here saying, you know what, I've gone on this journey the way I am for far too long. I'm going to bury some stuff under the tree today, Pastor. I want to come back. And I want you to know that Jesus made the road back. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he passed it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. 
for all the things that we've done wrong, for all the wounds that sin has cut into us, for, for all the hurts of the past that we can't heal, Jesus said, my body is broken that you might be whole. This morning as we sit in his presence, may we look into our hearts this morning and may we take this bread together, remembering the price that Jesus paid to bring us back into the presence. Let us eat together. Oh, the blood of Jesus. For all of the sin that we could never wash away. We are all sinners in desperate need of the grace of the Almighty God. And Jesus comes into that space and says, this is my blood poured out for many. This morning as we sit in his presence, can we please just drink in remembrance of what Christ has done for us, what his his blood has paid for for us. Thank you, Jesus. morning if you need prayer for any reason then I would invite you to come out we'd love to pray with you maybe for the next few moments you just want to do business with God and you'll see we're just going to allow the music to play softly but I'm going to close in prayer Father we don't want the candle without the flame Holy Spirit we need you Holy Spirit you are the one that sets us free Holy Spirit, it is your presence that we desire. It is your presence that we seek. Jesus, you said that you would not leave us as orphans, but that you would send the counsellor, the teacher, the guide, the helper. Oh, how I pray that you would light a flame in every one of our hearts. May we be distinguished and distinct for the reason that God's presence rests in us and on us. That's our prayer. We want to know you more. Open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.